ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on then from where we left off regarding the status of the sunnah and the preservation of the sunnah, then we came to a section where we were talking about how the people of innovation, the people of desires attempted to essentially destroy the sunnah how the people of desires in the early days, in those early years after the Prophet ﷺ, how some of the people of deviation tried to essentially destroy the sunnah. They did this in different ways. One of them was simply rejecting the sunnah through their intellects, one approach of some of the people of deviation was that they simply rejected the sunnah and gave priority to their intellects over it. The second approach by some of them, as we highlighted last week, was that they attempted to cause or create doubts over the narrators of hadith, authentic, reliable narrators. But they tried to cause doubt over those narrators. In reality, in fact, they tried to cause doubt over the sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. Because if they could create doubt, over the narrators of these hadith, it would then mean they would be able to reject those hadith by saying that these narrators can't be acceptable. They cannot be accepted from. The third approach to destroy the sunnah was that they fabricated hadith. And we touched upon some examples of that last time too. They fabricated narrations and they attached those narrations to the Prophet ﷺ. And those narrations that they fabricated, they would be narrations that of course oppose the actual pure sunnah. أو تناقض المعقول أو المعلوم بالضرورة وذلك ليعاد باللائمة على السنة أو رواتها وهما براء من ذلك. So they would fabricate these narrations that contradict the actual sunnah or narrations that go against the basic principles of the religion. So that when people come across those fabricated narrations, they would say, what's going on with the sunnah? One minute we're being told this, one minute this is saying this, and it's opposing that, and there's contradictions here. 
So then it would create this chaos in the people seeing the sunnah and seeing all of these apparent narrations opposing the basic principles, etc. So that was their third method. So three overall methods you could say the people of deviation utilized to try and destroy the sunnah basically. One, to basically reject the sunnah with their intellects. Two, to try and create doubt over the narrators, over the sahaba, the ones who narrated and brought that sunnah to us, conveyed that sunnah onwards from the Prophet ﷺ, to cause doubts in those narrators and therefore cause doubt in their narrations, i.e. the sunnah. And the third method was to fabricate narrations, contradictory narrations, or narrations that go against the very basics of the religion, they go against the very basic principles that are understood, and that would then cause chaos and cause confusion amongst the people. So these are all methods that they tried to implement. With regards to that first method, that was rejecting the sunnah with their, with their aql, with their intellect, just rejecting the sunnah with whatever their minds brought forward from justifications. Regarding that one, there were different levels of their behavior towards the sunnah in terms of their intellects. Some of them just outright rejected the sunnah. Upon their intellects, they thought they were superior, etc., whatever. They used their intellects to just reject the sunnah outright. The second approach though, of some of them was, to bring about this issue of rejecting singular narrations. You may want to call it that in English. The ahad narrations. Meaning narrations that had limited chains of narration, limited narrators at each level. Because some narrations have multiple uh, narrators at each level, multiple chains, others are going to be a lot more smaller in the numbers of narrators and chains, etc. Those ones that had limited narrators, they would begin to reject all of those saying there's not enough uh, authenticity, there's not enough to verify, there's not enough narrators, there's not enough of a chain of narration. And so they began to reject those types of narrations. Even though we know that the principle is you accept them, even if it was just one chain of narration with one set of narrators, as long as they are all reliable, authentic, verified narrators, then there's no reason to reject that narration. It is accepted. But they began saying, no, but there's only a limited number of narrators here. There's only a limited number of people in the chains of narration. We can't take those. Where there's lots of narrators, we'll take those only. So in that way, they began rejecting a proportion of the sunnah. And that is the Khabarul Ahad issue that is sometimes mentioned. The scholars have highlighted why this was incorrect too, because there are examples 
from the time of the Sahaba, where they accepted singular narrations, it didn't require that there has to be a room full of people narrating that narration for me to accept it, even if there's only a handful, a few, but they are authentic, reliable narrators, then it's acceptable. Even if there is only one, but he is verified, authentic, reliable, then you can take his information. There are examples of that from the time of the Sahaba. One of those examples is when the Qibla direction changed. When they used to pray originally, they used to pray towards Baitul Maqdis. Then after that, they changed when the revelation came toward Mecca, Qibla in Mecca. When that revelation came and that change occurred, the Prophet ﷺ obviously then conveyed that to the Muslims, that there's been a change in the revelation for the direction of prayer. At that very time, they say it was the time of Dhuhr or Asr, and the Prophet ﷺ sent somebody to go and tell the Muslims in Quba, to go and let them know, change your direction now. So one man went, one went to Quba, Masjid Quba. When he got there, he found that they were already in prayer, either Dhuhr or Asr. They were already praying, it was time for prayer. Of course, they were praying in the old direction yet. He'd only just got there. They were in their prayer and he shouted out to them, revelation has come, etc. And he, he said it, he said it. Whilst they were in prayer. So obviously everybody heard all of this announcement coming from him. In the middle of the prayer when they heard the revelation has come. He was saying it to them. They changed in the middle of the prayer and carried on towards the new direction. The point of that is though. How many people went to tell them about the change of direction? It was one narrator. One narrator basically. One person went there. To give them the information from that one person in the middle of their prayer. When they heard the revelation has come, they changed the direction of one person. I'll give you another example of accepting the news from the reliable source, even if it is only one. The example of the Adhan. Imagine now in your village, you're in some village, there is one mosque in that village. Just a, a scenario. When you hear the adhan coming from that mosque, you know it is now time for the prayer. In the morning at Fajr, you hear the adhan, the adhan for the true dawn. You know now if you're going to fast, you have to stop eating. You're not going to say, but I need to hear the adhan from a second person too. There needs to be two muadhins to make sure. Nobody... Nobody does that. That is not the sunnah. That is contradictory to the sunnah to have two mu'addins, one after the next. One mu'addin, one narrator telling you, it's the time for the prayer. And you take his narration, you take his adhan, and you do your worship upon that. You know it's the time for the prayer. You know it's time to stop eating. That is one narrator, one mu'addin. So the people of innovation, this was one of their deviations. To say that the single narrations or the single narrator or the minimal narrators, those narrations we can't take. We need big, 
groups and numbers of narrators will take those. Because in that way they can reject a reasonable amount of the sunnah, which is of those singular narrations or minimal narrators in those narrations. But like we said, as long as those narrators are reliable, authentic, verified, doesn't matter if it's one or if it's a minimal number. There is no condition, it has to be multiple people. But this is what they did. <coughs> so if we firstly look at what some of them did in terms of the absolute rejection. Remember here we're talking about the category of people who rejected the sunnah with their intellects. In that category, there were some of them who just outright rejected everything, and there were some who rejected those ahad narrations, the singular narrations. Right now we're talking about, we're going to discuss the first section, the ones who just outright rejected the sunnah with their intellect. خلاصة قول أهل هذا الرأي أن القرآن وحده يكفي وهو الإسلام وحده ولا هاجة إلى السنة إلا أن بعض القائلين بهذا يستثنون السنة العملية كتفاصيل الصلاة والزكاة ونحوهما Those people of deviation who claimed with their intellects to reject the sunnah outright they said basically the Quran is enough they said the Qur'an is enough. We don't need the sunnah. The Qur'an will suffice us. That was their general type of understanding. You have now the ones known as the Qur'aniyun. So this is the type of thing some of them said. Reject the sunnah. Qur'an is enough. Some of them though, must have realized obviously there are certain aspects of your worship which are only to be found in the sunnah. So some of them said, Quran is enough, we reject the sunnah except in acts of physical worship. So prayer, okay, we'll take from the sunnah what it says about the prayer. Uh, hajj, zakat, those kinds of things, okay, we'll take those from the sunnah how to do it. They are actual acts of worship, etc. We'll, we'll take those. But everything else, the rest of the sunnah will reject. So that's what they said, some of them. When did these types of people appear? During the end of the time of the Sahaba. وَقَدْ بَدَأَتْ بُذُورْ هَذَا الرَّئِي فِي أَوَاخِرِ عَصْرِ الصُحَابَةِ وَذَلِكَ مِنْ خِلَالِ مَوَاقِفْ بَعْضِ الْأَفْرَاتِ so some individuals began to sow the seeds for this type of mentality during the end of the time of the Sahaba. Not the Sahaba, don't get confused. At the end of the time of the Sahaba, not the Sahaba themselves, but others from the next generation of people who lived during the time of the Sahaba, they caught some of the Sahaba. So not the Sahaba. But others from the next generation of people who caught some of the Sahaba still alive yet. It was these other people, some of them began to be, bring about this type of mentality. You remember the narration of Al-Hasan al-Basri about Imran ibn al-Husayn when he was giving them a lecture once or talking to them and somebody said to him, only talk to us from the Qur'an. 
And he said to him, if you only rely upon the Qur'an, how are you going to know that Dhuhr is four raka'at, and Asr is four raka'at, and Maghrib is three raka'at, you read loud in the first two, quiet in the third. If you only rely upon the Qur'an, he said to him, how are you going to know that Tawaf around the Kaaba is seven times when you do it? And how are you going to know that Safa and Marwa, the Sa'i, is seven times between them? How are you going to know these things? And then Imran ibn Hussein said to everybody, listen to me, take from us. If you don't, i.e. you don't follow what we're telling you, Quran and Sunnah, if you don't do that, then you will go astray. It is vitally important to understand the Sunnah alongside the Quran. Both are revelation. And this is very important. Because all of this will lead us on to the third point, which is that nowadays you'll get some people who say, of course, Qur'an and Sunnah, of course. Many Muslims out there from different groups will tell you, of course, Qur'an and Sunnah. But then, how do we distinguish what the truth is when there are many groups these days? who will happily say to you, of course, Qur'an and Sunnah. Then it comes to the understanding of that Qur'an and Sunnah. It is not your understanding of it, or your interpretation of it, or your imam's interpretation of it. It is the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the interpretation of the students of the Prophet ﷺ himself, the Sahaba, and their students, the Tabi'een, the Salaf, the understanding of the Salaf, because they are the ones who learnt that Sunnah directly from the Prophet ﷺ. So it's not going to be the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the interpretation of your Imam in your locality, your Imam in your village, your Imam in your city, in your mosque. It's not his interpretation. Qur'an and Sunnah upon the interpretation of what we find from the Sahaba. And that is the key that distinguishes all of these groups. When a person thinks to himself, all of these groups, and they have different names, and the Tablighi, and the Ikhwani, and the Diobandi, and the Salafi, and they have all these names, they say. How do we know which one is right? The ones who follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah, Upon the understanding of the Sahaba and the Salaf, not the understanding and interpretation of your Imam or somebody else. And the only people who do that are Ahlul Sunnah, the Salafiyun. The Quran and the Sunnah upon the interpretation or the understanding and the practice and the manhaj of the Sahaba. That is what distinguishes the people. A Muslim comes along now and says he follows the Quran and the Sunnah. He follows the Qur'an and the Sunnah, he tells you. And then he says to you, it's okay to go and commit suicide bombings. And he's telling you, he follows Qur'an and Sunnah. So then you say to him, where in the Qur'an and Sunnah does it tell you that's permissible? He'll maybe quote you some ayah, some hadith, the common ayah, they'll maybe quote to you, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ Whoever doesn't rule by what Allah has revealed... Then they are the disbelievers, they are the wrongdoers, etc. So we have to go do this now. So they're quoting to you from the texts. And they are saying Qur'an and Sunnah. But then we say to them, 
these texts you are quoting from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, have you looked to see how the Sahaba understood these texts and what they said about them and how they practiced and implemented them? Because where from amongst the Sahaba will you find that they interpreted these texts as you do? And they said, go and bomb and kill innocent people. Where? Which companion interpreted these ayat as you are interpreting them now? Which Sahabi interpreted this ayah or this hadith you are quoting to me in the way that you are interpreting it right now? Who? Where? They will never be able to give you that. Because they will not find the manhaj of the khawarij in the interpretation and understanding of the Sahaba. The Ikhwanis will never find the manhaj of the Ikhwan al-Muslimin. They will not find that manhaj amongst the Sahaba and the Salaf. The Sufis, they will not find their spirituality and all of these different things from the practice and the implementation of the Sahaba. So no matter how much they say, we're following Qur'an, we're following Sunnah, this ayah, this hadith. You say, okay, but this ayah and this hadith that you are using to justify these actions of yours and this different worship that you do, did the Sahaba use these evidences to do the same thing or not? You want to use an evidence that mentions about the nur, about the light and some ayat or some hadith that talk about that and then say the meaning of that is that the Prophet was made out of light. You say, okay, so you've got an ayah, you've got some hadith that talk about the nur. So you got evidence from the Qur'an and the sunnah. But did the sahaba use these same evidences that you're using now to prove that the Prophet was made out of light? Did the sahaba ever used to use these evidences like that? Did they ever have this interpretation of this ayah or this hadith where it mentions nur, that it means the nur of the Prophet, he was made out of light? They will never find you any quote, any statement from any Sahabi saying that any narrations talking about Nur mean the Prophet was made out of Nur. He was made out of light. No Sahabi ever said it. So now you see the issue. They will all say, Quran, Sunnah. Many Muslims, groups, different factions. They will say, Quran, Sunnah. And when you ask them, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in that? They'll give you ayat. They'll give you a hadith. But then say, okay, but these ayat and these ahadith, are they interpreted now by you in the same way that they were interpreted by the Sahaba? If so, then show us from the statements of the Sahaba and the practice of the Sahaba that they used to do what you're doing right now. If you can't find... The examples from the Sahaba, from their statements, from their practice, doing what you're doing right now, you can't find it, then it must mean you have interpreted these texts in a way that the Sahaba did not interpret them. Because if they had interpreted them the same as you have now, then they would have been doing what you're doing now. They would have been doing what you're doing now. You would have found an example in the Sahaba for your actions. But you cannot find an example from the Sahaba for your actions. Because you quoting these evidences isn't enough. You are not understanding them as they should be understood. How should they be understood? Upon the understanding of the Salaf.
upon the understanding of the companions, not the understanding of your local imam or the maulana or whoever, the understanding of the companions, of the tabi'een, the students, the companions, the students of the Prophet ﷺ, who learnt this sunnah and understood it from the Prophet ﷺ. So they are the ones who are going to know how to practice this sunnah. Because they went and asked the Prophet ﷺ how to practice it. When they didn't know about a hadith or an ayah, they went and asked. We, t- we spoke about that. We spoke about that, how they used to go and ask the Prophet ﷺ, they would go and find out what to do, how to do it, what this ayah means, what this hadith means. So now, if we need to understand the ayat and the hadith, then the simplest way, the only way, is to go and look and see what the sahaba did. How did the companions understand this issue? However they understood it, that's how we understand it. Because we know, they understood that issue from having learned it from the Prophet wasallam. So anybody now who comes and quotes an ayah to you or gives you a hadith and says, this proves some innovation or bid'ah that they are doing, then say to them, okay, if it proves it, and that's what this ayah means, and that's what this hadith means, then that must mean the companions would have been doing it to them. So show me where the companions did this. Show me some narration or some athar, some example, some statement of any of the companions where they used to do what you're doing right now. They will never find it. And that proves the companions did not understand these narrations as you are interpreting them. It was different. What was it? Go and examine and search and analyze and see what the Salaf were upon. And that's what it means to be Salafi. When people talk about the word Salafi, that's it. That your Quran and Sunnah, how are you going to understand it? From the... Salaf, who are the Salaf? The companions. The word Salaf, it means the companions, the students of the companions and their students. They are the Salaf. Those early generations, the companions, etc. They're the Salaf. So when you say you're Salafi, that's all it means. That you are interpreting the Quran and the Sunnah and practicing it upon the way of the Salaf. That's it. Nothing more. It's nothing complicated or nothing strange. That's it. You are following the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the methodology of the Salaf, the Sahaba, the companions, the students of the Prophet ﷺ. And can there be any better way than that? So simple and straightforward. Somebody comes to you and says, but my Imam said this and my Imam said that. You say to him, but the companions Abu Bakr and Umar said something else. So do you want me to follow your Imam or what Abu Bakr and Umar عنهم, I used to do? They say, but our imam and his imam and our forefathers, say, all these companions, look what they used to do. It says in this hadith, in this narration, they used to do this. They, that's what I'm going to do. What the salaf used to do, because the salaf learnt it from the Prophet ﷺ. So they understood this sunnah better than your imam and whoever you're talking about. If your imam does what they did, then good, excellent. Like the scholars of Ahl Sunnah. Why do we then refer to scholars, you might say? Why do we refer to scholars? Why do we quote a Sheikh Al-Fawzan, a Sheikh Bin Baz? Because these scholars, when they give you interpretations and understandings, it is exactly what you find from the Sahaba. Because their interpretations and understandings are what they are teaching you from the 
positions of the Sahaba and the interpretations of the Sahaba. Anybody who does that, excellent, good. Scholars. But anybody who comes along and gives you interpretations that are not like that, then they are not scholars. They want to give you their own interpretations, they want to give you their own ideas, their own intellect. You do this, you do that, stay up all night, 2,000 raka'at and everything else they say. That is their interpretation. Their own intellect. Which companion, where have they got it from? They can't show you that. Because no companions had that. So be wary of that. It's not just a case of anybody coming along and saying, Yes, Quran and Sunnah. Are you practicing the Quran and the Sunnah the same way as the Prophet ﷺ actually taught it to the companions who learnt it and then conveyed it? If you are, excellent. If you're not, then that isn't the correct way. Very simple, very straightforward. So in those early days, there were people of innovation who didn't practice this methodology. They wanted to reject the sunnah. Some of them outright with their intellects reject it. Others trying to reject the singular narrations, minimal narrations. Others uh, trying to reject by criticizing the narrators. There's another narration here. Ayyub Sikhtiyani. Anna rajulan qala limutarrif. ابن عبد الله ابن الشخير لا تحدثونا إلا بما في القرآن فقال له مطرف إنا والله ما نريد بالقرآن بدلا ولكننا نريد من هو أعلم بالقرآن منا إوسدت مطرف ابن عبد الله ابن الشخير Do not talk to us except with the Qur'an. No sunnah, hadith, and narrated and narrated, forget all that. Qur'an only. You want to give us a lecture? Qur'an only. So he said to them, By Allah, indeed by Allah, we do not want any type of substitute for the Qur'an. We're not trying to bring the sunnah along to substitute for the Qur'an. It's not like get rid of the Qur'an and only have the sunnah. By Allah, He said, we're not looking for a substitute, but what we are looking for is to get to a source that is more knowledgeable about the Qur'an than us. That is the Prophet ﷺ, his teachings, which is the sunnah. Who is the one most knowledgeable of the Qur'an? The Prophet ﷺ. He is the one who is most knowledgeable of the Qur'an from us, from this ummah. So if we want to understand the Qur'an, who are we going to go learn it from? The Prophet ﷺ. How do we learn it from him now that he's died? The sunnah. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he left behind. All the hadith, Bukhari, Muslim, everywhere you see it now. Those are hadith, that sunnah is the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. He is the one most knowledgeable about the Qur'an. So if we are genuinely following the Qur'an, and we genuinely want to know what the Qur'an is about, we are going to go to the one who is the most knowledgeable about it, from this ummah, and that is the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. 
we are going to go and refer to the sunnah. And we've mentioned before how the Qur'an and the sunnah, they go hand in hand together. How the sunnah clarifies aspects of the Qur'an. How sometimes the sunnah even mentions additions that are not in the Qur'an. So it all goes together in that way. In another narration, Al-Awza'i said, that Ayyub Sikhtiyani said, إِذَا حَدَّثْتَ الرَّجُلَ بِالسُنَّةِ فَقَالْ دَعْنَا مِنْ هَذَا وَحَدِّثْنَا بِالْقُرْآنِ فَاعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ ظَالٌ مُضِلٌ That if you talk to a man with the sunnah, you're quoting sunnah to him, you're talking about sunnah to him. And he says, forget that, only Qur'an. Then he said, know that he is a misguided individual misguiding others. Misguided. If he tells you no sunnah, leave that just the Quran. So this type of ideology of rejecting the sunnah began to appear among some people during the time of the end of the Sahaba. Not from the Sahaba, from other people who lived at the time of the Sahaba. But it didn't really take hold. It didn't really take hold. It took hold a generation later. The Sahaba are considered the first generation. At the end of the first generation, towards the end of the companions where most of them had died now, only a few were left. Towards the end of the generation of the companions, these ideas started to emerge. They didn't take hold. The next generation now, within that generation, particularly towards the end of it, one generation down, by now, these types of ideas had begun taking hold amongst certain people. The ideas of rejecting the sunnah and rejecting the narrator's these types of deviations had begun to take hold towards the uh, end of the second generation. لَكِنَّنَا لَمْ نَقِفْ عَلَى مَعْلُومَاتِ كَافِيَةِ عَنْ هَذِي الطَائِفَةِ إِلَّا مَا وَرَدَ فِي كِتَابِ جِمَاعِ الْعِلْمِ مِنْ كِتَابِ الْأُمْ لِلْإِمَامِ شَافِعِ حَيْثُ قَالْ بَابْ حِكَايَةِ قَوْلِ الطَائِفَةِ الَّتِي وَرَدَتْ أَوْ رَدَّتْ الْأَخْبَارِ كُلَّهَا Al-Imam Shafi'i actually spoke about these people in one of his books, about the people who reject the sunnah, they reject the narrations. It is mentioned in the book of Al-Imam Shafi'i, the famous book Al-Um. And within that, the chapter or the book of Jima' Al-Ilm. So this is something that definitely occurred. Al-Imam Shafi'i spoke about it at that time, that there are people rejecting the sunnah. وَتُعْتَبَرْ الرَّافِضَ مِمَّنْ رَدَّ السُنَّةِ مُطْلَقًا So remember we were saying in this first category of people who reject the sunnah, there are one group of them who just absolutely rejected the sunnah. The other ones rejected the single narrations. From the groups who fall into the category of the ones who rejected it outright are the rafida. The rafida shia are from those people who just rejected the sunnah. They rejected the sunnah. لِأَنَّ مِنْ مُعْتَقَدِيهِمْ الْحِكْمْ بِالرِّدَّةِ عَلَى الصَّحَابَةِ Why? How so? How can we say and why can we say the Rafi Shia? 
basically rejected the sunnah outright. They rejected the sahaba, how so? They declared them as kuffar. The rafidah, from their deviation and misguidance, they said that after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, the companions became apostates and they left Islam. The companions didn't even stay as Muslims, they say, except a few. A select few, they excuse. All the other companions, they say they didn't even remain as Muslims. All of those companions are the narrators of hadith. If they, the Rafidah, have just declared all of these companions to be kuffar now, and therefore have declared all of their narrations as null and void, they have therefore rejected basically all of the sunnah. They've declared all of the narrators to be kuffar and apostates. So, they've basically rejected all of the sunnah that has come from them. They're not going to accept the sunnah. They have declared them as non-Muslims. They have voided all of their narrations. So the Rafidah are considered from amongst those who rejected the Sunnah on a broad level. So every Sunnah which was narrated from those masses of companions that they've declared as Kuffar, Every sunnah, every narration that came from them, they rejected. They rejected all of those narrations. Not only is it the fact that the Rafidah declared all of those companions, except a few, as being kuffar. On top of that, because sometimes you might say, a kafir, he's... A trustworthy person generally. You might say he's he's an honest person. You hear that. They didn't stop there though. They said those companions, not only have they apostated, they in their characteristics are liars and treacherous. So regardless of whether they were even making the point of apostasy on them, they were saying those companions are liars and treacherous anyway. On top of that, they've declared them kuffar as well. Kuffar, liars, treacherous. This is the position of the Rafidah. This is what they said. And if you're going to say all of that, then it's very clear that they rejected all of the sunnah. They rejected all of their narrations, saying these companions are liars and they are, they are treacherous and they betray. And why would they not say that? When they say about Jibreel alayhi salam, very similar types of things or positions. They say Jibreel alayhi salam brought down the revelation to the wrong person. Jibreel alayhi salam was supposed to bring the Quran to Ali. He made a mistake and went to Muhammad. That's what they say, some of them. Jibreel alayhi salam, Al-Ameen, the trustworthy messenger of Allah. But he made a mistake. He was supposed to go to Ali radiallahu anhu as the final messenger. And he went to Muhammad sallallahu by accident. Went to him instead. So it is not surprising that the Rafidah, they have these misguidances and deviations to this level, declaring the, kuffar, the, the Sahaba as kuffar and as liars and as treacherous and people of betrayal. 
And not just that, not just liars and treacherous generally, but liars and treacherous in conveying the narrations, particularly and specifically. They used to say the companions are treacherous and liars, or now used to and do now. They are liars and treacherous in conveying the narrations, specifically. وَأَنَّهُمْ كَتَمُوا تِسْعَ أَعْشَارَ الْقُرْآنِ and they say from the treachery and betrayal of those companions, the Rafida say, that from the treachery and betrayal of those companions, the companions hid, they hid, concealed nine-tenths of the Qur'an. What we have now is just nothing. Nine-tenths of the Qur'an, apparently, as the Rafida say, was hidden by Abu Bakr and Umar, etc. They hid nine-tenths of the Qur'an and left only that small portion. Why? They say, upon their misguidance, because those nine-tenths of the Qur'an, the vast 90% of the Qur'an, they say was all about the praise and the virtues of Ali. So Abu Bakr and Umar, they hid 90% of the Qur'an, all of those ayat about Ali and the virtues of Ali, hid all of that, just gave us this rest. This is the Rafidah. وَأَمَّا مَا يَعْمَلُونَ بِهِ مِمَّا يُسَمُّونَهُ حَدِيثًا وَسُنَّ فَهُوَ فِي الْحَقِيقَةِ دِينَ جَدِيدٍ اخْتَلَقَهُ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنَ سَبْعَ الْيَهُودِ But the Rafidah do have sunnah and hadith. They will say that this is a hadith and we follow it, and this is a sunnah and we follow it. What is that then? That is from their fabrications, from the sources of Abdullah ibn Sabah, the Jew, and from those types of sources. That is not sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that they follow. وَلَفَّقَهُ مِنَ الْيَهُودِيَّ وَالْإِسْلَامِ And that is all that mixture from Judaism and from Abdullah ibn Sabah and everything, all that concoction. ثُمَّ وَضَعُوا لَهُ فِيمَا بَعْدْ أَسَانِيدْ مِنْ طَرِيقْ آلِ الْبَيْتِ وَهِيَا كَذِبْ وَزُورٍ Then the Rafidah, to legitimize these fabricated narrations and all types of mixture that they'd made, they fabricated chains of narration to it. They fabricated chains of narration, which all happened to go through the family of the Prophet ﷺ, fabricated all of these narrations, to try and give it some legitimacy. And they are all lies upon lies. And the family of the Prophet ﷺ are innocent of the Rafidah. Innocent of them. Rafidah they claim their love and they claim whatever. But the family of the Prophet ﷺ are innocent of them. And innocent from their religion. Just as the wolf was innocent of the blood of Yusuf. Just as the wolf was innocent of the blood of Yusuf. That's an example the scholars mention. Did the wolf actually attack and kill Yusuf and his shirt had the blood on it? Fabricated that was. The wolf didn't do anything. So the scholars mention that as an example that the wolf, just like the wolf was innocent of the blood of Yusuf, then in this same way, such and such is innocent of that. Meaning he's got nothing to do with it. 
The wolf didn't attack Yusuf. That wasn't the blood of nothing. So they are innocent of the rafida, just like the wolf was innocent from the blood of Yusuf. Islam kulluhu kitaban wa sunnatan laysa lil-umma tariq lima'rifatihi an Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam illa suhaba. This whole religion, all of Islam, there is no way of understanding any of it except via the companions. The companions learnt it from the Prophet ﷺ and they then narrated it. All of the hadith, all of the sunnah, via who? The companions to the Prophet ﷺ. All of the narrations, when you see a chain, a chain of narration, narrated by such and such, such and such, such and such, from the companion Aisha or Ibn Abbas or Anas radiyallahu anhu. All of the sunnah via those companions. So, that is the important point to take note of today. وَالْإِسْلَامْ كُلُّهُ كِتَابًا وَسُنَّةً لَيْسَ لِلْأُمَّةِ طَرِيقٍ لِمَعْرِفَتِهِ إِلَّا عَنْ طَرِيقِ الصَّحَابَةِ فَمَنْ رَدَّ مَا جَاءَ مِنْ طَرِيقِهِمْ فَمِنْ أَيْنَ لَهُ طَرِيقٍ آخَرٍ يَعْرِفُ بِهِ مَا جَاءَ بِهِ مَا جَاءَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَمَنْ رَدَّ مَا جَاءَ مِنْ طَرِيقِهِمْ فَمِنْ أَيْنَ لَهُ طَرِيقٌ آخَرٍ يَعْرِفُ بِهِ مَا جَاءَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ سَهُمْ سَأَبَرُ رِجَاءَتِ الْكَمْبَانِيَنْسِ then how is he ever going to find out what the sunnah is about? What are the method? What are the root? What are the way? Is he going to learn the sunnah if he rejects the companions? Um, if anybody wants more detail on this as a resource for the students, then one of the good books on this topic regarding the Rafida and their position and what they did and what they fabricated is the book of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Minhaj al-Sunnah al-Nabawiyyah. That book details these affairs. That is perhaps where we'll round off on today then, inshaAllah ta'ala, and we'll continue with the next section from here, next lesson at 7 p.m. next week. So we'll round off on that point for today. Any questions, anything to add on to that then? Sometimes it can be the case that a hadith, it's weak. The chain of narration, it doesn't hold up. But what is in that narration doesn't actually contradict anything in the religion. So the meaning of that narration is actually valid, but it's not a... It's not actually a... Hadith. If the chain of narration, etc. doesn't hold up, it's weak, then it can't be valued as a hadith. But what it says is actually acceptable. It's in line with everything in the Quran and the Sunnah. That's what they mean when they say sometimes a hadith is weak, but the meaning is okay. That can only be said by the scholars. Scholars will research and check and they can verify and they can tell you this narration is weak, but the meaning of it is actually not a problem. There's nothing wrong with the, what it says, but it's just not a 
hadith. It's a weak narration. That's all that is. So those types of narrations, you're not going to use them as evidences because they are not actually considered as hadith. The only time scholars use those narrations, maybe they are talking about a particular topic and they give you all the evidences, ayat, authentic hadith, and then at the end, they might just put that in there. Just like a supporting evidence. That it's got some issue with it, but you can see the meaning, the point we're making, that's the point. That's not used as a main evidence or anything. They might just be added on occasionally here and there. But they're not evidences to be used. They're not a hadith. Those that are not established narrations. But that's what they mean, that the meaning might be okay. Hmm. He had some deviations. What exactly and which particular aspects? Then we'll have to go examine exactly what the scholars have said. But there were some issues. Scholars have mentioned there were certainly some issues. He has books, obviously, etc., well known. But it is something you have to look into. He's not mentioned as completely clean. Mm. When uh, Ramida attributed the Hadith uh, to Ahlul Bayt, their uh, freedoms of these nations or was it after they passed away? Who, the Ahlul Bayt? Yeah, yeah, so the Ramida, they said, you know, these Hadith came from... Yeah, so that would have been typically afterwards. I mean, they are attributing them, when we say attributing, meaning the companions, at the companion level. That they say this is from Ali or this is from Fatima, etc. But that would have been afterwards. During the time, there was some during the time. Some of the Shia, they existed at the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib. And what did Ali ibn Abi Talib do to them? Kill them. When they started saying Ali ibn Abi Talib is Allah. Or he has some element of Allah in him. Ali killed them. Kufr, shirk, how can they say that about him? Hmm. Alright, we're on off on that for tonight. Next week at approximately 7 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa ajma'in.